0: The Marvel Handbook, Episode a 6, Ares, God of War, Ariel, Arkham, and Alpha Centurions. The Marvel Universe. The
1: band is Black
2: like <laughs> Widow. <laughs> the Colossus and Cyclops.
0: The <laughs> Crimson Dynamo.
3: Daredevil
0: <laughs> Air a a to <laughs> like the wall. <laughs> like to the stream. Fantastic Four. Galactus. Blue Strider. Blue Cycle Hero. Hellcat. The hell
4: gotcha. the Duck. The like Human talk Invincible girl Iron Man
3: Can't deny Modoc Mr. Fantastic see,
2: Prince of the Demon Nightcrawler Odin Power Man and Iron Fist <laughs> Professor X The Punisher, Show Jones Sergeant Fury The She-Hulk
0: Silver Silver Silver
4: Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Storm from the Essence of thing Ben dream The Mightiest Thorn, Stadium Man, Wolverine, The Marvel fire- Thorn, Superman-
5: Hello, this is Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, here to talk about the Alpha Centaurians. This is one of the many tertiary alien species that wasn't notable enough to get a full-page entry in this issue. In fact, the Alpha Centaurians only get a quarter of a page, but I wanted to discuss them because I really like the story in which they debuted, which was Submariner, issue 17 and 18. Physically, the Alpha Centaurians are humanoid with gray, scaly skin. Their heads, they have these kind of skin flaps or jowls coming from their nostrils around to their ears, and they have very pointed ears. To me, they kind of look like seals, except with the very pronounced ears. They are an amphibious aquatic species, their homeworld's surface is covered by water, and they live in kind of feudal caste cultures. Despite this, they have mastered interstellar travel, which is a good thing because their planet, Alpha Centauri, was dying. The water was drying out, and they needed to re-water? Re-wetten the planet? I don't know. To do this, they flew to Earth where they were going to use their advanced technology to siphon the water from Earth's oceans and deposit it back in Alpha Centauri, thereby saving their world while dooming ours. What stopped this nefarious plot from coming to be was the hubris of the Alpha Centaurian's chieftain, Dinor, who first appears calling himself Dynor the Stalker. He scouts the oceans of Earth where he discovers Namor the Submariner and Triton, the inhuman. He's fascinated that these two beings have deviated from their normal species traits to breathe on land and in water, and he wants to study them. So after a big fight, Dinor has captured Namor and Triton, and he is going to make them watch the destruction of their world before he subjects them to all sorts of tests and dissections to figure out what's up with their strange physiology. The boys don't like that. Namor and Triton bust out and reverse the master weapon that siphons the water from Earth. It now sucks the last of the water from Alpha Centauri, destroying that world. What I have always loved is how the Alpha Centaurians react to this. They don't fly into an anguished rage and murder Namor and Triton. They don't declare war on Earth. Instead, they blame their leader, Dinor. They're like, you arrogant fool. We had won. You didn't have to bring these guys on our ship. We could have taken their water and left. But it was Dinor's hubris and his ambition that overreached and brought about their destruction. So the Alpha Centaurians turn on him and Namor and Triton are sent back to Earth as the aliens turn on their master and kill him. I thought that was hilarious. This story from Submariner is written by Roy Thomas and drawn by Maurice Severin. I have always liked it, in part because it made me a fan of Triton for the first time. Until a couple of years ago, Triton was really my least favorite of the Inhumans royal family. I just didn't find him that interesting and didn't really care for how Jack Kirby drew him. Once Triton started appearing in the Submariner comic, though, I saw how John Buscema and Maurice Severin drew him and how he interacted with Namor, and I liked him a whole lot more. Now he is one of my favorites of the Inhuman royal family. And the way he and Namor worked together to free themselves and to destroy this whole Alpha Centurion culture was crazy and kind of awesome. So... Yeah, the Alpha Centaurians are not the most memorable alien race in the Marvel Universe, but I like them because of how quickly and practically they turn on their leader, whose personal ambition totally screwed them over. And also because the story made me a bigger fan of the character Triton and his complicated camaraderie with the Submariner. Phoebe,
4: I know you're in there! Ah, crud. you think you could hide from me forever little brother oh <laughs> hey there brother what brings you to new york
2: hercules's brother which brother are you please be one of the nice ones
0: i am Ares, prince of war harbinger of destruction bringer of pain
3: so kind of not nice
1: Go away, Aries! Okay, Victor, you want to go ahead and start? <laughs> yeah, okay. All right,
3: well, what is Megashine? What is that about? Well, Megashine is a podcast for queer people of color by queer people of color. I can't even say it.
1: <laughs> okay, but well, yeah, start over. <laughs> All
3: right. All right. What is Megashine? Well, Megashine is a queer podcast featuring queer people of color talking about geeky and queer things. A lot of queer in there.
1: But yeah, we we double up on the gay cuz we like it. Um, and I'm Nick. And I'm Victor. And we can talk about anything from the Phoenix Saga to dating app to porn stars to video games, you know, anything and everything. Right. And you can catch us. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher and Spotify. Episodes are bi-weekly. So, yeah, check, check us out. Listen, rate us, like us and follow us. That's right.
2: I don't know if there's a lot of crossover between our two audiences. So why don't you go a little bit more into who you are as individuals?
1: Well, I'll start. I'm Nick, and I come from the Marvel, mainly from the cartoons and the video games. So I grew up watching X-Men the Animated Universe, going on through uh, watching a little bit of the X-Men Evolution. I didn't much really get into Wolverine and the X-Men because uh, I kind of felt like that show was trash. That's where I come in from.
2: And what about you, Victor?
3: Well, I've been... a uh a long time comic book fan since i was a kid. Marvel hit me through Spider-Man Amazing Friends. From there i just start, you know, saving my little money and buying comics at the, you know, local grocery store and really getting into the stories. My first Marvel comic was X-Men 248. I was kind of lost because there was a lot of things happened. X-Men was were supposedly dead at that time. We were introduced to some different characters that later as i went back to back issues kind of got a better you know, idea of them so you know I've been in it for a long time since I was 13 and been in it ever since
2: do either of you have previous experience with the official handbook in of the Marvel Universe or is this sort of a new thing for y'all
3: oh I do that was something I used to collect in fact I remember there was a like a 1-900 number or something it was a game that you had to play with Spider-Man where you can win the updated versions and I did that and my mom killed me because I was like that episode a big phone bill, but uh, a whole <laughs> bunch of those, and you can, now you can, they were like detachable like files almost, you can put them like in a oh, okay. in a binder.
2: You had the loosely so, ones yeah. then, the ones with the, they were uh, mostly white backgrounds, and there was a turnaround of the characters? Yeah. Okay, Master Edition, yeah. I know the one, yeah.
3: I bought them the old way, but then when the newer ways were in the 90s, I got those, and then they updated it again, and I also got the paperback, not paperback, but the graphic novel versions of those books as well.
2: Cool. Yeah, it's funny, just on Twitter the other day, somebody was asking whoever played those phone games, and now I know somebody who actually did that. <laughs>
3: yeah, I did. I was that person.
2: Now, uh, you want to move on to Ares?
3: Now, it's funny because I feel like Ares, oh, this Ares became popular only because of Xena. That's my personal <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, Ares was such a popular character in that show. And then all of a sudden, we were seeing Ares. Now, we already had Hercules. And, you know, in some ways, they're not the same at all. But, you know, you kind of had a little bit of a Greek demigod very active in the Marvel universe, a little bit more than all the Rest of them. So we got a little bit of a taste of that Hercules. But then later we end up getting Aries. Aries is a very fascinating character. I know a lot of gay men like Aries. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, he's
2: I, very. Actually, if you could elaborate on that, I'd appreciate it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah so he's very he is this true masculine bearish looking character in the comic and so when we see him we see this look of bad something about this dark character this you know mysterious he's been through things he's a battle person like he's all about the fight he doesn't matter he doesn't care whose team he on or what's going on he likes to be in a fight and that's how he was depicted that's how he looked he was hairy he had this huge muscles he was just something that I remember a lot of. <laughs> uh,
2: well, did he get yeah. much play in Incredible Hercules? Because I know I mean, there was a big thing uh, for a while there when they did the alternate universe Hercul- Hercules. there's in a relationship with Wolverine, and they, they really started to play up Hercules' bisexuality. And I'm wondering if yeah. that was a gateway. If Ares was popping up there. If maybe there was an association there that may have contributed.
3: Yeah, I, I think because he has that played a part that gave people a hint. This whole muscle bear thing about Hercules, but also to say with Aries, the way Ares was also drawn in the comics. You just saw him as this, like, ooh, who's this guy? He could have been of any sexuality. That was never really something that was pushed. I think he had a daughter, but I don't think that was something that was pushed that he was, like, this super straight man. I think he was just something that had an appeal that everybody caught eyes on. His first appearance in 1966 with Thor, of course. (laughs) You know, but we didn't really get to see a lot of him until, like, around 2006. And it was interesting because he was Considered an anti-hero. Now in DC He is a full-on god He's a villain of Wonder Woman And we see him try to destroy the world many Times, either through him or through his kids This was a different type of version uh, I always felt like he was this worn Torn, like another version of Punisher Almost, <laughs> because he was just this brooding Character. We also got to see a little Bit more during the whole Civil War Era, where they were really trying To figure out what's going to happen after this And he was invited to join S.H.I.E.L.D. At that moment, just because of what was happening after the death quote unquote of well, captain america so it was very interesting to see how at that time he was brought in to be the muscle be the fighter and then later brought in to be a part of norman osborne's team the dark avengers w- which was also very interesting too we didn't really get a lot out Ares throughout the years in marvel guess who he got to fight namor i feel like everybody fights namor in some form of fashion they all
1: namor fighting. got hands for everybody
3: he does because he's also arrogant but we got to see a little bit more of how Ares were how he would be as a hero we saw him with the Avengers and what have you but I think he was killed by Sentry and Sentry was another Dark Phoenix-like character (laughs) with Madden when they were fighting he basically split him apart okay well nice to know you Ares
1: (laughs) I've only known Ares through actual Greek history a little bit on the DC side and then the God of War the actual video game so i didn't even know that Ares had this whole background with marvel comics i kind of struggle with the fact that you're gonna have a villain and then all of a sudden fast forward he's now an anti-hero sometimes i struggle with that if he's a villain and he is just so consumed with fighting and war and that's what he loves then maybe just leave him like that but i don't know i go back and forth with that sometimes yeah
2: i think he's sort of an antagonist for hercules so it's not necessarily Clearly he was a full-on villain, but the guy who we were supposed to be rooting for, he fought and therefore he's the villain by default. But I, I don't know that he ever did anything so overtly villainous that he couldn't back come back from him and be an anti-hero. That's my ignorance. I've not, I, I wasn't a big Thor reader, so I can't say that there wasn't something he did that was like completely heinous. But he didn't get the kind of play like, say, Loki would get, and that didn't stop Loki from being an anti-hero either.
3: Yeah. True. That's true. He's a god of war, so he did linger around for a little bit throughout the comics, and I know when Marvel went through this all new, all different Marvel, he did return so he's around but they're not really using him that much he's just right now traveling the world with his friends and he wants to go back to these fields he was at a I think when he was supposedly dead he was hanging out in these fields but I know when they had the secret empire storyline he was a part of the champions of Europe which was interesting and if you remember the secret empire that was when this whole thing about captain being a Nazi or something like that which I didn't really read all of that but apparently along the that storyline he was with captain britain and guillotine which is an interesting name and excalibur so he's around but they're just not really using a lot of him in anything he
2: seemed to kind of be brian michael bendis's pet character and once he got had ripped in half he was done with him and it doesn't seem like not many people picked it up since then
3: yeah it's interesting what happens when they don't know what to do with a character so they'll just linger around and they'll pop up in a comic somewhere like what okay you know it's just like and how do you survive you know as always that's kind of the answer these days. So, I don't know. I like the Ares in DC. I'm sorry, Marvel folks. The Ares in DC has more of a character arc and situations that I appreciate. As you were saying, I don't know what they know what to do with him.
2: I don't like when Marvel does DC or DC does Marvel. I like them to really be separate and do their <laughs> own thing. And DC, through Wonder Woman, has definitely embraced Ares as a villain and also, more so in recent years, Hercules. They've played around with him being a hero, but because he's so important to Wonder Woman's lore and Wonder Woman is such a huge character at DC, it seems like they've leaned more towards allowing Hercules to be a villain of the DC universe so for Ares and Hercules to be good guys at Marvel that helps me because each company's doing their own thing with their characters so I kind of like giving them a face turn I guess you'd call it in wrestling terms
1: yeah yeah, yeah. but I'm in agreement with you Victor if I had to choose between my portrayal of Ares versus Marvel or DC I would have to go to DC especially how he was portrayed in Justice League and uh, Justice League Unlimited I liked how conniving he was he reminded me almost a little bit of Mystique in terms of his cunning
2: yeah the artist is by Paul Smith. What do we think of the entry and look of the character oh.
3: It's very classic. This is the god of war. You know, this kind of look with the whole helmet and everything. This big muscly god. So he kind of had that feel that, you know, that was attractive in so many different ways. To me, he's just the Greek god. That's a Greek god look right there. It
1: almost reminds me of something. What was Wolverine's friend that got the legacy virus? Was it Maverick? Yeah. It almost looks like something Maverick would wear when it's too hot. <laughs> it doesn't scream Greek god to me me, but I really, mean, with,
3: even with the helmet and everything?
1: No, <laughs> not to me, but you know, different strokes for different folks. Well, it yeah. looked
2: a lot different when they made him more of an anti-hero too. Didn't they go with like long white hair and stuff?
1: Yeah, one of the pictures, he almost looks like the art by Ed McGinnis makes him look like Bane a little bit. Yeah, I can see that.
3: And I was thinking you know, I can see where you can see a little bit of Punisher because of his, wherever
1: he was wearing, this shirt
3: or his battle gear. It's, his harness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can see it through his harness. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because Ares looks like the quintessential 90s hero we used to see like an image or, you know, those type of comics. Just big for no reason. Big axe, big male. Comes off like very interesting when you look at the look of Ares. You know, especially as a, you look at the Chaos War, or you look at some parts of Incredible Hercules. You just have that look of the 90s heroes. He's even got a
2: held <laughs> sword with a big lumpy handle. Looks like a vinyl... <laughs> <laughs> toy or something.
3: Yeah, like yeah. handle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is one cover and I think it's his graphic novel that I do like. It's red. And I do like that cover. I like that look of him. There's a sense of loneliness to what it is to be a God of war that you're always fighting. You really don't win. There's always a loss. So I've always liked that because the way they make him look is you almost want to feel a little sorry for him.
2: Yeah. That's a lot. There's a lot of pathos there. I didn't, I didn't appreciate that until you mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there he is.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sprite, Colossus and storm take the main stairs.
0: You'll be sorry. Something about Siberia bothers me.
4: You mean besides the fact that he's trapped us in the mansion? Colossus? Cyclops? Yoo-hoo!
6: Here I am, Strike! Come on!
4: I found Cyclops! Lead on, Tin Man!
6: He's in here. Only you can save him.
4: Hang on, Cyclops! Hey, what's the big idea? How? What's this place made of?
6: Vibranium think. My... A metal that can vibrate to block your atomic structure. In other words,
0: I've grown accustomed to your phase.
4: (laughs) What have you done?
0: Vibranium is also an
4: excellent sonic wave conductor, as you're about to find out.
6: Somebody's playing their stereo too loud.
4: me. He tricked me into the room! <gasps> that means it was just a hologram of Nightcrawler! Then maybe the Colossus that trapped me.
6: wasn't the real Colossus!
4: Yay! I knew Peter Rasputin wouldn't pull such a rotten trick! Maybe a gentler approach will do the trick. I'll phase through.
6: So this is the 108th Sage, Inza, if you're going to use a proper name. And I'm a game designer slash, I guess, role-playing game designer. In the middle of slash, halfway through slash, almost done with co-designing a board game that's we've been playing for 20 years and about six years ago now no let's see closer to four years ago, sorry yeah about six years ago now we were lucky to each other and we were like wait a minute this game is getting adjacent to where we could ever actually release it to like the public and let other people buy it so we like okay the next time we're gonna do a version change we're gonna go ahead and make everything not for the best what's best for us but what's best for a new person playing the game out of a box and so we changed the game in a lot of ways we never thought we would but it's so much better now it's so, so much smoother and plays faster and just, it's a great game. So the game is called Battle Quest. Adventure Awaits is the subtitle once we realized we probably wanted to have a subtitle because Battle Quest is like already at least nine different things, including a type of Zelda player, special play style. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, the point is that it's a cooperative board game. It's role-playing without a game master, really is what it is. A cooperative story-based tactical adventure is kind of like the little tag we have on our board we put up at Dragon Con when we demo it. And so 2019 is going to be our fifth year demoing our game, this game. And that first year, we didn't really know what to expect. And we were blown away, especially with the kids. We play with 20 to 40-year-olds. You know, we do not play in with kids, but all of a sudden, that first year, there were kids that teach it to their parents like halfway through the first game. Like, no, 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 Mom, you're doing it wrong. Here's how the game works. And they were 100% right. One of the things we've done with this game is play it for 20 years. So we've refined the rules and refined the rules and got it really stupid complex and then spent the next however many years kind of refining it from that and taking out all the complex stuff and making it super simple and super cool.
2: And it's just a lot of fun. Since you haven't done podcasting, before do you want to introduce yourself in terms of where you're coming from as a fan
6: good idea i got into podcasts back in 2012 i think when i was like oh i need some left-wing political news because i can't get that through the regular news sources oh chris hayes he's an awesome person i'm gonna see if chris hayes up as a podcast and that led me to this thing citizen radio which then led me to a couple of other podcasts and i eventually started branching into tv podcasts when i saw the fringe podcast by golden spiral media up on one of the vote for podcast awards kind of thing i love fringe i'll check that out and that led me to the whole world of TV podcasts. And then the Flash podcast had Shag on. And that's how I found out that they were actually good comic book podcasts. Because I'd actually looked into them when I first started getting into podcasts. But they were all about what was current. I didn't care about what was current. I wasn't buying comics by the issue anymore and hadn't for years. And so all of a sudden I find these people talking about who's who. sold already there. And then the Fire and Water Network, of course, started me spiraling between all these different other networks. Like Two True Freaks and, of course, Fortress of Bailey and all that stuff. You led me to Warrior for Peace, the Wonder Woman podcast, which I really enjoy. So many podcasts I've listened to in the past whatever, like seven years now. I'm always, always subscribed to more podcasts than I could possibly listen to. As far as comic books go, started reading comics when I was a wee child, and my first comic book I ever bought with my own money was Power Pack number six. Then a little bit after that, when they crossed over with the X-Men, I started collecting X Men too. And my brother had already been collecting Avengers and Fantastic Four. So like those were our four main books, because we would of course read each other's books growing up. So of course I was a big Marvel kid. Especially when I went to my cousin's house and tried to read her Superman comics, and they were just so juvenile, it felt like. Come to find out after I'd grown up and I'd actually started reading those Superman comics again and loving them that, oh wait, I was reading Marvel comics in the 80s, but she had Marvel comics from like the early 70s because somebody had given it to her parents and like, she just had a whole bunch of comics that she wasn't getting current comics. So I wasn't reading current Superman when I was like, oh Superman's super lame when I was a kid. I was just reading like the late 60s, early 70s stuff. So I was just like 100% Marvel until my mom found out that Mary Jane Watson had posted her Playboy and other scandalous things and made us sell all of her comics, although I was able to convince her to let me keep Power Pack. We went for years, like the wilderness years, I think of it, without being able to read comics until I could all of a sudden start driving. And then I could start buying comics again. So I was like pretty much just back into comics from that moment. Although, as I was getting back into them, my friend was getting into them, and we were diving into the back issue bins, and we mainly focused on DC, actually. Specifically, the pre-Vertigo stuff. Oh my goodness, Doom Patrol, and Shade the Changing Man. I was the collector of Doom Patrol. My friend collected Shade, and we, of course, read each other's comics. Invisibles, and Sandman, and all that stuff really helped reinvigorate my interest in comics as a teenager and I started branching out into things like Comics Greatest World and the Ultraverse when they were Ground zero, you don't have to jump into the crazy continuity because I had really not gone back to Marvel since I had gotten back in comics because all those years of continuity that I would missed were just like, what? I don't know. And then as I got into my college years, I had to stop buying comics for a while being poor, but when I got back in I started actually dabbling both DC and Marvel, but pure, pretty much purely through the back issues. I didn't buy current comics until the mid-2000s again. I now Split my time between reading trade paperbacks and reading digital comics because yay tablets I first got I got my first kept tablet in 2014 I want to say and have been reading digital comics pretty heavily ever since there was a house fire at our previous residence back in 2011 and that was like okay can't afford to buy comics anymore I'm gonna need to spend all my money on recovering from this house fire for the foreseeable future and so that was pretty much the last time I regularly bought issues off a stand although I did go in belatedly several weeks late and get Action Comics 1000 and picked up like the occasion other issue. Almost entirely I've been buying trade river racks Some from in-stock trades, a lot of them from Ollie's started having stupid sales on some trade riverbacks and others were just like reasonably priced but some of them were just like stupidly low prices. So I would go there every once in a while and spend way too much money on new, new trade riverbacks. Things like that. It's
2: too bad you're not on a fire and water podcast. That would have been a pretty great blurb for the sponsor.
6: <laughs> <laughs> we can just go to the bays and start with Ariel.
2: That's an excellent place to start. Paul Smith Art. I love Paul Smith. What do you think about her representation here?
6: From all my comic reading I never really saw her in this phase by comic reading I mean as a kid like when I actually knew her she was always Shadowcat to me and she was like in a dark blue light blue costume that I just loved and it was one of my early favorite characters that I came across and then once I got a little bit older one of my earliest if not my earliest crushes just such a cutie yay kitty pride as I got a little more advanced and widespread in my reading I was like oh wait she wasn't always called Shadow Cat. Ariel or like Sprite I didn't even know about it. like I have not read those comics yet I'm almost to the, where the X-Men started. Starts up again in my semi complete Marvel read through, but I have not gotten there yet. And then, of course, it's going to be like 35 issues or so until she appears. I'm looking forward to it. This costume, like I say, is not one I'm familiar with from reading her adventures, but it's super cute. The way it's kind of like a little bit baggy, but a little bit tight in like in different places is it, I really like it. I like the high boots.
2: One thing that I think maybe got lost with this character over the years after the Shadow Cat period is they did such a great job of allowing her to have to figure out her identity. All those different code names she went through, a lot different costumes but you have them deeply embarrassing costumes which is exactly the sort of thing you would go through in your adolescence we all go through that where you're trying on different personas trying to figure out who you are by trying different things and I thought they did such a great job of representing that but because from basically the mid 80s onwards, she was sort of crystallized as to who she was I think that's why you needed to have Jubilees and Gen X kids down the line because once she knew who she was the people who came in reading her after the fact didn't get to have that experience with her of her figuring out who she was through these different costumes and identities
6: that makes sense speaking about the different costumes and identities that kind of reminds me don't know if we were even covering him at all but hank pym was one of my earliest favorite avengers because of how many different personalities slash and code names slash power sets he's had over the years i don't know i always appreciated those characters who like go through lots of different phases basically the power pack crossover with uncanny x-men was what introduced me to her i think the first time I started encountering him is through the morlock situation where kitty pride and nightcrawler are going through the sewer the kids are like sneaking their through the sewer or something. I don't remember exactly how it is, but they, like, come across them. At least that's my memory of the situation. It has been a minute since I've read those comics. And whenever they had the crossover, right out during that storyline of, like, actually appearing in X-Men and stuff, I started collecting it from that issue and going forward until my mom's Amy saw all my comics. Uh The only other thing I can think of really is, I think it's after this era, but Lockheed, I love Lockheed and her relationship with Lockheed and just such a cute little dragon.
2: I never read the comics, or at least in the first run, I didn't read the comics while she was Ariel. I don't think she was in this, particular costume or by that particular name for very long i was around before the shadow cat days and yeah kitty pride was definitely my first comic book girlfriend for sure she's one of the reasons why i ended up picking up uncanny x-men at least one of the two reasons why i picked up kitty pride and wolverine and for me she'll always be shadow cat but i don't know if anybody's ever drawn her as well as paul smith drew her she's so beautiful she's so graceful but she also has that innocence she's for me perfectly represented by paul smith and so it makes me happy to see this drawing even though again this is not a costume or a version of the character that I'm terribly familiar with.
6: Indeed. I've always been one of those words more than art kind of people when it comes to comics. Like sometimes people will wax episodic about like how they could easily tell that this was Kurt Schaffenberg or like Wayne Boring or various things like that when like talking about their versions of Superman and I'm like, nope. I mean, it looks like Superman. I can tell the different artists drew very different ones but the ones that are vaguely similar I would not be able to tell that they were different artists. I'm just not, that's not the way my brain works really. So I don't remember who drew the iconic versions of Shadowcat that I'm familiar with but this version is certainly really nice looking here in the static photo for Ohatmu. Of all of the Kitty Pride comics that I've read, she has looked cute under multiple different artists, I guess is a good way of saying it.
2: And you mentioned, too, again, it, and this will be an ongoing theme with Ohatmu, is the static nature. But I think the great job is done here by Smith of showing the personality, the, the little wave, the kind of being back on the one hill while the, you know, the, the hand behind her back. You get a real sense of her personality, even though she's not necessarily doing anything particularly overt all those little tells are there to let you know what kind of person this is just based on this single image.
6: Totally. It really does have more personality than entry that'll come later where we just talked about Darkstar where she's just kind of standing there. Like you say, she's projecting personality through her hand gestures and things. But as far as pictures go, the one at the bottom is a little bit like, wait, why do they pick that one picture? It's pretty obvious she's just in her underwear and you can't even see what she's wearing on top because she's phasing through a wall. 15-year-old girl at that point, 14-year-old girl in her underwear, whatever. It's
2: definitely an unfortunate and very odd choice. I I wish they hadn't gone that way.
1: The danger has passed. You are safe now.
0: Who are you? What are you?
1: I have traveled across dimensions of space to find you. My name is Archon, ruler of Polemicus. My planet is dying. You, mistress of the elements, can save us
0: created this chaos
1: it is but a hint of the misery that afflicts my planet with every second polemicus comes closer to extinction
0: how could you endanger all of these people just to get to me that is barbarous
1: my people depend on me i must be prepared to do anything to save them hi my
4: name is Carla well i'm a huge book fan both marvel and DC, and i'm just a nerd working hard to become a voice actor
2: we can move on to archon
4: okay
2: what is your familiarity with this fellow? Have you read him any comics in the past?
4: Mostly in the, the Weird World arc, and like the Battle World and the Weird World arc.
2: So uh, the, the recent Secret Wars, relatively recent Secret Wars crossover then?
4: mm mm-hmm.
2: So tell me a little bit about him there.
4: Archon is like Archon the Magnificent. He comes from this world, I, can, I never know if I can have this right, called Colimachus that glorifies warfare. It's almost like, imagine the Amazon world where everyone's a warrior and... They do have their own sciences. And, in the, and outside of this world, you can see these light rings that surround it. And those rings are essential to Polymathus. For some reason, scientists there believe, well, they determined that atomic explosions somehow kind of rekindle the power rings for about a good year if there's at least one explosion on Earth. So Archon, being the most celebrated warrior of their world, he had gotten into contact with Scarlet Witch and he tricked her into saying a spell that could transport him to Earth, where he kidnapped Scarlet Witch because, well, he fell in love with her. He's like, I want to marry you. And she's like, no, thank you. But, and he also kidnapped a couple of scientists, too, and then they went back to his world, Polymarchus where they were working on on this atomic device thing, but uh, right before he could activate it, Scarlet Witch managed to get the Avengers to come um, to Polamacus, and, well, oh, they did do get out for a little while, but Iron Man and Thor, they figured out how to make, like, an artificial device that would simulate atomic activity, that would keep their power rings good and running. And I do, well, this is one part that I do like about Archon, it's like, when there is a conflict and a conflict is clearly solved, he doesn't just, like, insist that he should be the winner. He always says, okay, the conflict is gone, everything is solved, you guys can go home, I can go home, so that's what he does. In real World, we all know, like, a bunch of weird worlds that kind of meshed into one really big weird world, and he just wants to find his home. He has no idea what's going on, All he, the only goal that he has in mind is home. I gotta find my home, I gotta go home. So he just keeps searching and searching. He even comes across these people from a plane crash, and he does save them, but he's still just agonizing over finding his home world, Polymachus. And he even reaches the end of the real world where it's like his edge, and he is just completely given up. And he actually falls from the edge, and it's attacked by another character called uh, Morgan Buffet, where he is saved by I don't know, not recall, but but Tom um, at right before he was saved by the other character, he got a glimpse of the upside down of world, and he saw his home world and he just got so happy. Like that's the only thing that mattered to him. Like I felt Really bad in, in the weird, weird world. Like, he was just talking so much of like himself.
2: We have so many characters in comics that are so driven. They have this yeah. thirst for justice or this quest for revenge. It's all going to be this epic scale. And it sounds like he's, for the most part, he's a very capable individual, but yeah. just wants to live his life, you know. And all this stuff just yeah, keeps he, going his he way. He
4: loves his home. He loves his world. He loves his planet. He just wants to help it. Like at one point, the artificial device. It didn't really seem like it was working that well for him, so he wanted to make it better that yeah, he did end up screwing it over and causing a whole other mess. Well, that's just another story later, but most of his end goals are for his home and his people. I think that's kind of a little bit noble some work with another. And uh, what do you think of the uh,
2: entry art by Bob Budiansky?
4: <laughs> uh, it kind of looks like a, like a He-Man or Conan era type of design. <laughs> like, he got this really fucked guy with basically like a cloth, maybe a cool hat and some shoes and some, a shield and some weaponry, that side. but <laughs> it's a little bit laughable.
2: Pretty sure I'd play with that action figure back in the day. Yeah. So anything else on Archon?
4: He does have these kind of cool lightning bolt-ish weapons. The golden ones, they have the ability to transport him to other worlds. The red ones, well, they cause like a big explosion, but the black ones cause like it even like really bigger explosion and they're solid right up until the point they hit the target and it just kind of melds into this energy blast and I think that's
2: kind of cool it's always fun when you have something clearly coded like that I think that's something that kids especially respond to is like I know what these ones do versus what this one does
4: I almost forgot there's this one point I cannot remember if it's like me why but there is this Hollywood movie going on it was actually starring the character of Archon and the character Wonder Man got it and it was it just such a stupid storyline where Arkham basically went over to Earth
2: and Hollywood and he just snapped Wonder Man around saying, hey, yeah. Very random. Mm-hmm. Probably one of those things where somebody had the idea and maybe didn't know quite how to execute it. And just like, okay, yeah, well. Yeah, they had
4: something there, that they just didn't know what
2: to do with it. Yeah, aside from the lightning bolts, I think that hat is probably the most distinctive thing. If, if I did have that action figure, I'm pretty sure the flappy thing would have broken off on me.
4: Mm-hmm. it was very sharp
0: The official listeners of the Marvel Handbook Podcast are 20th Century Geek Podcast, The 108th Sage, Adriano, Always Second, Andre 79 Oliveira, Dr. and Between the Pages, Brian Gooney, Brian Olvey, Brian Burnt, Caroline Wells, Chris at Bat Books for Beginners, Chris Dunford, Christopher Bush, Collected Edition, Daniel French, Fishboney as Sound Design, who tweeted a hot dog whip gif, DeBash, Delvin, Derek William Crab of Fanhills Podcast, and history of comics on film Doc Strange Dr. G Nerdologist Dirk Ashton who tweeted a thank you Kat Giff Ed Moore Eric Borden Fiendish Fitz FSD Records Gene Hendricks of the Hammer Strikes Random Geeky Stuff Iowa's Joe Crawford Jax Webb Jeffrey Brown Jennifer DeRoss Carl Ottersberg who tweeted humble thanks Keith G. Baker Kenny Crowley Jr. Law Dog RPG Historian Marvel Universe Online Max Traver Mike It Send Aliens to Me who wrote I Feel Like There Is A Does Backlash Nay Nay in here somewhere Anyway. Really excited to hear this. Keep up the great work. Luke J. Canetti of Earth Destruction Directive added, I can only imagine Blizzard, Boomerang, Beetle, etc. taunting him mercilessly with that. Pound Signed Team Odell Abner Dracula who wrote Blacklash's Whip Looks Like a Fine German Rapidograph, Relatively Geeky, Randy Caldwell, Resurrections, an Adam Warlick and Thanos podcast, Richard G., Ryan Daly, Sean Coleman, Sean Marek, who wrote Hell Yeah, Can't Wait to Hear This, Ciscoid, Stimpid 5000, Talk Nerdy to Me, Hobby Doby Shop, and Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace podcast.
6: All characters and concepts appearing in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe and the distinct likenesses thereof are the trademark and copyright of Marvel Entertainment, LLC, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. This has been a not-for-profit fan production from Rolled Spine Podcasts, with any copyrighted materials presented here in presumed covered under fair use, with no infringement intended.